0: Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. Um, just before we, um, before I start the message, I really want us to pray this morning. I just felt this on my heart regarding kids that are, or family members that are overseas and can't get back, or just loved ones that are overseas in a difficult. Our South African family friends. So can we do that? How many of you have a relative, a son, a daughter, somebody overseas trying to get back at the moment? Oh, there are a few of us. Right. My goodness. Our son was supposed to get back, supposed to have had his managed isolation thing booked by his work situation. Somebody dropped the ball and he still doesn't know when he's going to get back. Um, So let's pray. This COVID thing got to come under the blood of Jesus, eh? It really does. As isolated as we are here and as blessed as we are here, there are a lot of people suffering. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a merciful God. And Lord, we know that many nations and governments and those in authority have turned against you or ignored you or kicked you out shut down your voice. But Father, you're the God of mercy over and above all of that. And we decree your mercy on the nations, that Father, your light would still break through. Father, we thank you for the, uh, the stories that we are hearing. we in some nations that people are turning to Jesus because there is no other hope. Father, we continue to declare that you are the God of all the world. And we release your authority over this nation. We take our authority and knit it with yours and decree over the nation's COVID stop in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray for loved ones, friends, family, those overseas that are not trying to get back, but are in countries where it's really hard, and also those who are trying to get back. And we decree a way being made for them. We decree that space opening up. We decree your favor, especially on our family members. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. All right. You had a a story last week, Mitch was preaching from um, Leviticus, 16. Um, today I'm speaking from Genesis 16, and I don't know if anybody wants to have a go for the one in between, um, Exodus 16. I'm not even sure what's in there, but anyway, um, I want to focus on one chapter of the story of Abraham and Sarah. At this point, they're actually Abraham and Sarai. A little bit of background first. In Genesis 12, we have the record of God first calling. Abraham to leave his country. Oh, by the way, in case that you're not really sure about how all this works, Adam and Eve, you heard of them? Adam and Eve. All right, then through to Noah, and scholars have tried to estimate roughly how many years that is. Some say around 1100, some say 1600. It depends on if the um, genealogies are all listed in order or they've just picked out important ones. But somewhere around about that. We get to Noah, and by Noah's time, things are pretty bad on earth. So we know about Noah's flood. Well, about another 400 years later, Abram is born. And Noah's still alive when Abram's born. Really interesting when you start to work these out, because some of these guys lived a long time. Anyway, so that's where we're at. We've got Abram. And God says, I want you to leave this country and go to where I'm leading you. So Abram, at this stage, is 75, and his wife, Sarai, is 65, and they have no children. But God makes a promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And he goes on a bit more with that promise. And for years, nothing happens. Ever had a promise? And for years, nothing happens. We get to Genesis 15, and God turns up to encourage Abram again. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. By this stage, Abraham is a bit ticked off. God, I know that you're real, and I know that you've said what you've said, but it's looking like my servant is going to be my heir. Where's the child? And God says, a son is coming from your own body who will be your heir. And at that point, the scripture says, Abraham believed God. Now we get to chapter 16. And you can either follow in your Bible or it should appear up on the screen. I'm just going to go to my Bible here. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So here we are. Now, Abram's now 85, and she is 75, still no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Funny that. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maid, servant Hagar, and gave her to a husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. It was kind of like, you know, no children. It's not happening. We better try and make this happen. We had a promise from God. You think, oh, I'll just give him a little bit of help here. I'll help him out a little bit. And in this case, they tried the Old Testament version of surrogacy. And it was quite common that the people that they lived amongst, if the wife was barren, then it was quite okay to give him one of the servant girls and to have children through him. And the wife, if she wanted to, could then claim that child as hers, legally hers. Um, in this case, Abram actually took her as a wife. So here we have an interesting story. Abraham, Sarah Sarah suggested it. Abraham quickly jumped at the idea, it appears. And, And as I look back on this, I thought, what did he do that for? He's heard from God twice. So I look back to see what God had said. And God hadn't specifically yet said, the son will come from you and Sarah. So kind of. Gives Abraham a little bit of wiggle room, or so he thought. Anyway, let's read a little bit more. Oh no, we'll just no, we'll stop with that one. So here we've got Hagar, and um, she is not the Bible character you would choose to be if you could choose to be one. I don't know anybody that put up their hand, like, oh, "I want to be like Hagar," and uh, and she didn't get to choose much either. She was a slave, and she was probably bought by Abram and Sarai when the country they were living in was in famine, and they went down to Egypt, and so they bought this girl while they were down there. See, Hagar had no rights. She couldn't say, I don't want to do that. She couldn't say anything like that, and as far as Abram and Sarai were concerned, she didn't even have a name. I don't know if you noticed, but they only called her the Egyptian maidservant or the Egyptian slave. Didn't even call her by her name. Hagar means stranger or forsaken. And here she was, made pregnant by a man who didn't love her and then didn't protect her. Let's read this next little bit. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abraham's response. Well, your servant's in your hands. You do whatever you think is a good idea. And uh, Sarai mistreated Hagar, and she fled. That wasn't a very good protective stance on Abraham's part. I don't think he worked that out very well. So here's Hagar, badly treated by her mistress. She felt used and abused. She felt invisible and forgotten. She felt lost and unwanted. So she ran away. Most of us would kind of run in some direction if we were in that situation as well, even if it's running into a cave but a God. Let's continue on. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. So that's on the way back to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. I love this story of somebody so neglected, and yet the angel of the Lord steps out of heaven to minister to a slave girl. This is the first mention in the Bible of the angel of the Lord. And scholars tell us that a lot of them think that the angel of the Lord was Jesus in pre-incarnate form. So here we have amazing grace stepping out of heaven to minister to Hagar. I mean, she she had, she had didn't deserve God. She, she had no claim on God. She wasn't one of the chosen race. She probably worshipped idols, as she had back in Egypt. She had nothing going for her that... God would care about her. And you may feel a bit like that yourself. Not got a lot going for you, made a few mistakes. But amazing grace steps out of heaven to minister to us in our brokenness, in our undeservedness. We're always undeserving, actually. When we feel invisible and forgotten, by everyone else. When we were felt overlooked and abandoned or afraid and alone, amazing grace sees our struggles and steps out of heaven for us. He comes alongside us. His name is Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the gospel in the Old Testament before there was a gospel, gospel. This is amazing grace stepping out of heaven. This is extremely good news. And it shows God's heart right from the beginning book all the way through, his heart of grace for those that he loves. So the angel of the Lord found Hagar. You know, you can't go anywhere where God can't find you. You might have told your kids that once in order to keep them in line. Oh, God will find it. God will find out. That's not the context here at all. It's not like that at all. Here it is. You know, Even if you've built a wall, out of grief or disappointment or anger, God will find you. He'll find you in your confusion. He'll find you in your chaos. He'll find you in your crisis. He will find you because he loves you. That's why he comes looking. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Hagar. This special angel of the Lord. An amazing grace calls out to Hagar by name. God uses her name. God knew her. He knew her past. He knew her present. And he knew her future. Same, same for you. Exactly the same for you and I. He knows our past, our present, and our future. He calls us by name, each one of us individually. Now, this angel, which I, you remember I told you, it's the first mention of the angel of the Lord. And you think if God was going to do this, he'd, he'd set a really good precedent, and he'd have the angel of the Lord turning up, first of all, for some famous Bible hero, like one you'd find in Hebrews 11, one of those Hall of Fame ones. But no, turns up for a slave. Imagine that. The God of heaven goes chasing after a slave. It's incredible. And why? Because he loves her. Because he's the God of compassion and understanding who can turn anything around. Even the bad mistake that Abraham made and Sarah. She suggested it. She suggested it. And the angel of the Lord tells Hagar to go back. Stop running from the problem. I want you to go back with a new attitude. And he makes this promise. Out of this problem, I'm going to do great things. I'm going to give you descendants. What is this? I will so increase your descendants, they'll be too numerous to count. God is injecting the whole situation with his purposes for good. And so God prophesies to Hagar about what is inside of her. Let's pick it up, verse 11. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. God prophesies to Hagar about what is inside of her. He prophesies into her destiny. And do you know that God is prophesying always? He's prophesying to you and to me. He's prophesying into our destiny. He's prophesying life. He's prophesying future. He's prophesying hope. He's prophesying into your Your health situation, that life will come in, he prophesies into that. Into your situation of financial need, he prophesies provision. He's prophesying all the time, all the time speaking. But you know, too often, our ears tune in better to the prophecies of the enemy. Oh, you're no good. God's abandoned you. You're going to fail. You're not good enough. All that stuff. And we tune into that. And if we allow those thoughts to stay, they take root. And once they take root, they can start to starve out the faith that is actually meant to be growing in our soul. So we can't afford to have that. Okay, Ishmael. This is amazing. You know, God gives some of his name to this boy. And this is the, another first. This is the first child God names before birth. Ishmael. The EL at the end, short for Elohim, meaning the mighty one, the supreme one. In the beginning, God, the supreme one, the mighty one, created heaven and earth. And I just did a bit of a flick through and we'll have a look. We'll flick them up real quick to see who else got some of God's name. Israel, prince of God. Samuel, heard by God or asked of God. Elijah, he's got the L, E-L at the beginning. And this one is interesting because it actually includes two names of God in there. The Elohim and the Yah for Yahweh. And we have Daniel, God is my judge. Joel, and here we have, again, two names of God in there. The Joe or Yah for Yahweh and El for God. Gabriel. And of course, this one we know, Emmanuel, God is with us. So that's just a bit of a freebie to pop in there in case you'd never noticed it before. So let's um, go on with a little bit more of this prophetic word. Verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, to you and I, that prophetic word is like, I don't want that. But I think at this point, Hagar is so caught up in the fact that God has talked to her, (laughs) that she doesn't, she's just stunned. She's just stunned that God has turned up. And she's beginning to rejoice inside now, thinking, I'm not going to die out here in this wilderness. I'm not abandoned. God has not forsaken me. God actually, he knows my address. He knows my name. Now, the interesting thing about this prophetic word, and because I thought, mm, oh, I don't know about this word. And so I, I looked ahead a bit. And do you know, later on in Genesis, when God was confirming the covenant and he changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. Sarah just goes from princess to my princess, Sarai to Sarah. And Abraham exalted father to father of multitudes. Anyway, um, so where were we going with that? We were going to, oh yes, and so, um, and, and God then just tells Abraham, Abraham at that stage, That the child you're going to have, the child of promise, is from you and Sarah. So he gets that bit sorted. And then Abraham loves his firstborn, Ishmael. And so he says to God, but I'll just find what he actually says, because otherwise I'll make it up. He says, if only my son Ishmael may live under your blessing. And you know what? You can negotiate with God. And God replies, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He'll be the father of 12 rulers or princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Isn't it amazing how God upgrades the prophetic word? Because he knew Abraham's heart. I think that's so cool. And there's others, there's several others in the Bible. Uh, Moses and uh, Amos are, are two of them that come to mind that negotiate with God and God changes the plan, amends the plan. So a great nation was to come out of Ishmael. It's amazing how greatness can come out of our mistakes. Now you might be thinking, hang on. I know that Ishmael is the father of the Arabs and that's just a whole big problem that they created right there. Well, I used to think that too until I did some research and I found out that is not strictly true. So you go away and do your reading because I haven't got time to do that for you or if you want, I could send you a couple of articles. All right, back to Hagar because this is about Hagar. Okay, Uh, verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. El Roi. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Beer Lahai Royay. 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 I've Got to pronounce this right. I always want to say Roi is Roy, but it's not. It's Roi. It is still there. I don't know if it's still there, but that's what it says between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, Abram gave him the name Ishmael, and Abram was now 86 years old when Hagar bore him a son. I love this here, you are the God who sees me. This is the, a name that Hagar gave to God, and it's the only time it's actually used in the whole Bible but we see it in slightly different ways all the way through. The Amplified adds this, you are the God who sees me with understanding and compassion. Isn't that special? And also this, this name, Rui, in, uh, in its original Hebrew could also be translated as shepherd. So here we have, you are the shepherd who sees me. What did Jesus call himself? The good shepherd. The good shepherd who went looking for the lost sheep, put that sheep on his shoulders and carried it back again. And that's our God. That's the God who sees you. He doesn't just see you and leave you there in what he was happening. He sees you and is the good shepherd will provide for you, will nurture you, will heal your wounds, whatever it is that is needed. It's like she was saying, I see it now. You see me. You ever been having a conversation with someone and you're trying to explain something, and in the end they say, oh, I see what you mean? That's kind of like what it was here for Hagar. A light went on. Oh. I see, you see me, and now I see what that means. The light goes on. And you know, if God sees me, if God sees you, you and I can deal with anything. We can deal with that offense. We can deal with that rejection. We can deal with that doctor's report. We can deal with whatever it is because we know God sees me, and that changes everything, everything. The good shepherd, amazing grace, sees me. He steps out of heaven, and everything changes when Jesus is around. It's got to change. Years ago, well, actually, a lot of years ago, when I was nine years old, which is a lot of years ago, my father died suddenly. He went into a coma one night, was, un, was unconscious for a couple of days, and died. And there were a lot of issues. But many years later, when I was in my 20s, I think it was, there were still issues related to my father's death and a lot of stuff around there. Uh, but the thing that came out in this particular of inner healing prayer ministry was I didn't get to say goodbye. And that was I didn't know that, it just popped out. And so in that pre ministry, I said goodbye to my dad. Go on a lot of years. Um, I'm Thomas Pete and I got married, my mum remarried, and then most of you, a number of you will have known my stepfather, Bruce Andrews. And a few years ago, at age ninety seven. He was in a rest home, and he was dying. And I was visiting him lots. And in my heart, I really wanted to be with him when he died. I really, really wanted that. And you know, God saw. God saw my heart. And at 4 o'clock one morning, I had a call from the rest home. I raced down there, and, and I told Dad... I said, I'm, I'm here. This is Lynn. I'm here with you. And I put on some worship music and took his hand, prayed with him, and released him. And within just a few minutes, he was gone. And the presence of God was so in that room. And I knew that God had seen me. And I saw him. And It was just a beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful thing when you know that God sees, because that changes everything, everything. You know, Jesus saw people that others didn't. He saw the marginalized, the outcast, the unwanted, and he reached out to them, and he touched them, and he healed them, and he had dinner with them, and he loved on them. One of those guys was Zacchaeus. Now he was a cheating tax collector, and uh, others labelled him as an outcast, a sinner. Don't go near him, and he wouldn't have had any of them back for dinner, no matter how many invitations he sent out. They wouldn't have gone. But he's heard about Jesus, this this man Jesus, and he's curious, but he's also vertically challenged. So how on earth is he ever going to get to be able to see Jesus over this crowd? Well, he runs ahead of where Jesus is going, climbs a tree. And I want you to look at this verse, which is coming. This is what it actually says in the NIV. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must come to your house today. Jesus reached the spot. It's the spot of Zacchaeus' need, the spot of his pain, the spot of your pain, of your need, of your confusion, of your chaos. Jesus knows the spot, and he's in your spot. And what does he do? He looked up. El Rui. God sees. He sees you at that point. And what did he do? Zacchaeus, I'm coming back to your house. I'm coming back to your house, Eli. I'm coming back to your house. I'm coming back to your house. People online, Jesus is coming back to your house, to the house of your children. Jesus knows the spot, and he's coming to fix things. So Jesus went home for lunch with Zacchaeus. And we don't actually know what happened during that conversation. We do know that Zacchaeus' life was totally changed. Jesus said, today salvation has come to your house. Wholeness, deliverance, healing, sozo. He was sozoed to the max. I don't think Jesus went into his house and said, "Oh, okay, Zacchaeus, we'll just go through your sin list right here. Repent, repent, repent. It's not Jesus' approach. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come into him and go through the sin list with him. I will eat with him and he with me. In fact, in the Amplified, it actually says, I will restore him. You know, there's something about being in the presence of Jesus Where sinless get dealt with like that. Where he brings the conviction out of his immense love. And Jesus changes everything. His presence changes everything. This is the power of the gospel. It changes everything. Today, whatever your need, Jesus is here for you. I know there's some of us here that have got maybe a crisis going on of some form. Immense need. Help required. And it's got to be supernatural. So that's what we're here for. We're here for the supernatural. That's why we come to church instead of going to the RSA. You have a good time over there, but you're not going to get supernatural. You need to be here. You better find the last page because that's the one we want to be on. And I didn't even bring up my phone and put my timer on. All right. So, amazing grace will step out of heaven for you in the midst of your trials. Hebrews twelve fifteen. 15, there's a little verse tucked away there. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, it's so easy when we're going through trials, and I know this because I've done it the wrong way. It's so easy when we go through trials that we can become bitter because we feel abandoned by God. God, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. I think somebody else in the Bible had a situation like that. And, you know, that, can, that, that wound can separate us from God if we let it. In fact, I was reading The Shack the other day, and um, I am reading the, rereading The Shack, and I love this um, where Papa speaks to Mac. He says, I want to heal the wound that has grown up inside of you and between us. See, there's those walls again, those walls of disappointment, disillusionment, the disciples were totally disillusioned when Jesus died on the cross. They were disillusioned and fearful to the extent that they put themselves in an upper room and locked the door. They felt secure inside their walls. And what did Jesus do? He walked through the wall. And he'll walk through your walls as well. You might think your wall is too thick, too high too wide, whatever, too painful, too painful for you to take down. Let Jesus step through that wall and be with you in that place because that changes everything. El Rui, God sees you. The question is, do you see him as he really is? Not that harsh God of your imagination, but God as he really is. He's a good God. we sing about it. His grace is outrageous. <clears throat> his loving kindness is immeasurable. And he has your best interests at heart. No matter what you're struggling with, he's a good God. And he will come and inject his purposes for good into your situation. God sees, and that changes everything. He is prophesying life, provision, well-being, salvation, healing, whatever it is. Let's stand, because the question is, as we stand, and the band comes. The question is, Will you today make a decision to trust God, El Rawi, the God who sees you? Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening by following us on social media.